engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. The President of the United States going to address the nation tonight about uh, the southern border. He's going to go pay a visit to the southern border on Thursday and wants to, apparently if press reports are accurate, wants to declare an emergency along the southern border in order to use governmental powers to reprogram tax dollars. Uh, Now, what does that actually mean? I want to spend some time with you this evening and explain to you what exactly it means for the president to declare a national emergency, and then once he's declared a national emergency, uh, to reprogram dollars. Now, for some of this, I explained it last night that the president has the power because Congress has given ample discretion to the executive branch on how to spend the money Congress allocates. The president does have it within his discretion to spend money allocated by Congress and reprogram that money for other purposes uh, under certain scenarios. One of those scenarios is sometimes to declare a national emergency. I want to give you some background on what a national emergency is and what the president has to do to declare a national emergency first. For starters, there are 28 existing states of emergency in the United States. Uh, Ryan Strzok at CNN broke these down for us earlier. The longest existing emergency still active in the United States was declared on November 14, 1979 by Jimmy Carter to block Iranian government property. Uh, then there are these others. Uh, the, the second oldest still in effect is the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction from 1994. There's the pro- prohibiting transactions with terrorists who threaten to disrupt the Middle East peace process from 95. Prohibiting certain transactions with respect to the development of Iranian petroleum resources from 95. Blocking assets and prohibiting transactions with narcotics traffickers from 95. Regulations of the anchorage and movement of vessels with respect to Cuba from 96. Blocking Sudanese government property and prohibited transactions with Sudan from 97. Blocking property persons who threaten international stabilization efforts in the Western Balkans. Uh, Export control regulations from 2001. National emergency by reason of certain terrorist attacks from September 14, 2001 in relation to the September 11th attacks. And on and on these go. A lot of them have to do with dealings in Iraq or in Syria or the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo. Um, Blocking property persons undermining Lebanon. Things like that. The president is allowed to declare states of emergency under the national, what is it, let me get the name right, the National Emergencies Act. In doing so, the president has to set forward provisions of various laws he believes give him emergency powers in order to declare the state of emergency. The state of emergency must be renewed annually by the president in a certification to Congress, and more importantly, The Congress, by a joint resolution of the House and the Senate, can end any declared emergency by the president. That's pretty important here. You see, one of the strategies the Democrats have moving forward on this government shutdown, which we'll get to here in a minute, is they're hoping more and more Republicans will vote with the Democrats and provide them enough votes to overcome the president's veto threat um, and get 
an override of a presidential veto for a spending resolution. We're not there yet in terms of votes, but the Democrats are hoping. In terms of the national emergency, there's another issue, though, that the president has to have, is some of the land along the Rio Grande and the border between the Mexico and the United States is private property. There's actually a pretty in-depth uh, well of, of legal precedent here that presidents of the United States cannot use eminent domain to take property just by declaring an emergency. What the president actually has to do is find a provision of law that would apply to a national emergency and then declare eminent domain under that. He's got to find a specific provision of federal law that specifically gives eminent domain. The Supreme Court has been very clear on this going back to the 1820s that eminent domain is not presumed. The president actually has to find a statute that specifically gives eminent domain power in order to take private land. And then in so doing, the president has to see if that eminent domain provision can be applied to a national emergency declaration. But then there's another caveat, and I've read several different legal scholars today who all disagree on parameters, but all seem largely to agree on this issue. The president cannot deploy the army to build the law on federal land. That the army in a state of emergency can be deployed to build things, but must build things that are authorized by congressional legislation. Now, if you're listening, you'll say, but wait, didn't Congress authorize building of a wall along the Mexican border when Bush was president? Yes, it did. But that was a civilian project authorized outside of the purview of national defense. It wasn't considered a defensive project at the time. So that raises a legal question. Ultimately, what I'm telling you here is that the president, if he does do a, a national emergency, it's going to be very difficult for him to use eminent domain by declaring a national emergency. It'll be even more difficult to use the military. And then, of course, there are going to be the federal judges who issue injunctions and say, no, Mr. President, you can't do this. That could very well delay anything the president wants to do until he's out of office. I mean, it could stretch for six years in a legal fight before the president would be allowed to do anything. So there's no guarantee even the president declaring a national emergency means he'll be able to do something. It may just be easier for the president to, I don't know, keep the government shut down, dare Republicans to fold, and make the Democrats cough up some money if they want to reopen the government. As the shutdown goes on, more and more parts of the government are going to start winding down. At some point, someone's going to have to want to actually open the government. And if the president draws a line in the sand, digs in his heels, and says, it's not going to be reopened unless the Republicans sell me out or you give me money, it's not really going to look good for a lot of Republicans come 2020 that they've sold out the president. That may be the past of, path of least resistance for him to go forward. All of this, to, to break it down for you, is vastly more complicated than what a lot of the president's supporters would have you believe. But there's another big issue here that we need to discuss. If the president declares a state of emergency for the southern border, when and and this is this is just the fact this is not in dispute the number of immigrants streaming across the border illegally has declined in the last 5 years every year the number has gone down it is an inarguable fact that that's the case the president's 
own Department of Homeland Security certifies that that is the case. If that is the case, that illegal immigration has declined, the question is, how is the status quo suddenly an emergency when no prior president declared it as so? That's one of the arguments the president is going to have to make. But then there's this. If this president, seeing a decline in illegal immigration across the southern border, can look at it and say this is still a national security issue, it's a national emergency, there are potential terrorists coming across, why can't a future Democrat president say climate change is a national emergency and we're going to use eminent domain and seize all of Georgia Power's coal-burning power plants and shut them down? Why, why can't the Democrats, if President Trump establishes this precedent, so much of this is predicated on precedent. There is not a precedent for a president to declare a national emergency in a situation like this, in an immigration situation. And what I mean by that in particular is that immigration, the, the powers to enact immigration law, the power to deal with immigration under the Constitution, specifically resides in Article One, Section 8. It does not reside in Article 2. When you look at the national security emergencies that the presidents have declared in the past, they are by and large related to foreign policy. That power resides in Article 2 of the Constitution. The president essentially drawing within powers given by Congress, declaring a state of emergency for something clearly within his purview as president. Immigration is within the purview of Congress. If the president can declare a national emergency and use eminent domain to build a wall along the southern border, then a future Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Joe Biden, they can use the same declaration, a national emergency declaration, and say climate change is a national emergency. President Trump chose to use eminent domain to build the wall, so I'm going to use eminent domain to shut down coal-burning power plants around the nation and take coal farms from uh, coal producers. It's a dangerous ground the president trods here when he uses a precedent that has not been done before. It is, it is not a precedent to say the president can declare a state of emergency. It very much is to say he can do it about immigration at the southern border when the status quo suggests there's not an emergency. Now, he can throw out terrorists coming across. There have been six who have been detained. There are other issues there. The president can make some valid points. I'm fully in favor of the president building the wall. But I think the path he may want to go is to just force the shutdown to continue instead of trying to build the case for a national emergency, a precedent which Democrats can use later. And for those of you who are saying, well, they're going to do it anyway, do you want to make it easier for them to do it? That's the question. Do you really want to make it easier for Democrats in the future to declare a national emergency on climate change and seize all the coal-burning power plants in the country? I'm increasingly uncomfortable with the level of information that various companies can get from you uh, by just your web traffic, uh, whether it's social media companies, whether it's your internet service provider or what have you. You know, if, for example, my mother-in-law tells the story, she was flying back from California, she ordered a cheese plate on the flight from Los Angeles back to Atlanta. 
And now on Facebook, she sees these ads all the time from the cheese manufacturer that made the cheese plate that she bought on the airplane. It really creeped her out. The best way to get around being tracked by social media sites, marketing companies, your mobile and internet provider is to get a secure VPN. And you can take your privacy back by using ExpressVPN. It's easy to use apps. They integrate seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes a click. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Makes it safe to go online without everybody snooping. So to protect your online privacy today, your online activity online, find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, for three months free with a one-year package. Go to expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. It's 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Rick Scott, the governor of Florida, has now been sworn in as the 53rd Republican senator, giving the GOP a more comfortable margin in the Senate to be able to get things done. Um, Real quick, before I take any phone calls, and if you want to call in, the phone number is 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. I want to very, very quickly um, make a point that I do believe there is a problem on the southern border. I don't want anyone to hear me dismiss the idea uh, that there is a problem at the border. We we have a real problem. Six people on the terror watch list have been caught. Three of those turned out to be American citizens or permanent residents of the United States. Um, but six were caught. They actually came through border checkpoints. We don't know how many crossed illegally and were able to get into the country, if any. And I think the left and the media, but I repeat myself, there's too busy disputing this and poo-pooing it to actually look at this. The fact that we do have people who have tried to come across illegally, some of whom are related to terror organizations, suggests we have a problem and we need to do a better job on the border, whether it's a wall or something else. But there's a larger issue on the southern border, and that is human trafficking. The cartels are engaged in human trafficking. They're engaged in drug smuggling. And we need to better secure the border in order to stop those things. Read uh, any of the sympathetic portrayals of farmers along the Rio Grande. Uh, I was reading one during commercial break by the Washington Post. It was a very in-depth look at the the, uh, plight of farmers on the Rio Grande who don't want to give up their land for a border wall. One farmer in particular if the federal government builds the wall as the president wants it, will be cut off from the Rio Grande. He will not be able to water his crops. He will not be able to water and feed his animals. It's a real problem, and and there's no border access. There's no door cut into the wall for him to be able to get through if the wall goes through. That's a real problem for farmers. Some of these people, they've had this land for 200 years in their families, and it'll be ruined if the wall is built the way it's, it, it is uh, going to be built without the thought of putting in areas where farmers can go to the river. But that doesn't mean that the wall shouldn't be built. There are ways to fix that. I am a proponent of the wall. Contrary, it is conventional wisdom in Washington, D.C. that the wall will do no good. But the reason people are coming through the desert 
instead of going to parts of California to try to get into the country is because those parts of the country have the wall. The parts of the country that don't have the wall are where you're seeing people sneak across the country. And in fact, and in fact, if you read these profiles of farmers along the river down there, what you find is that illegal immigrants are always coming through their land. Drug cartels are always coming through their land. There actually are real and serious issues down at the border. Now, it is also a fact, however, that the number of people who are coming across the border illegally has declined. It is also a fact that there are ways to secure the border without a physical barrier. We could up the number of patrols. We could up the electronic surveillance. Uh, there are a host of issues uh, that can they can be applied and, and taken care of to secure the border without a physical wall, including in those areas where there are farms. And this is what Rick Perry suggested. Uh, if you'll recall, Rick Perry famously wanted to build the Trans-Pacific Highway uh, through Texas, and the farmers in Texas revolted because of the imminent domain use, and he backed off of it and agreed we could secure the border electronically. In fact, I think we probably can in some cases. We don't need a wall the whole way through. We'll take your phone calls on this when we come back here on WSB. It's 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. You heard Chris Chandler say, and the Winehouse sources are spreading it throughout the known world, that he doesn't appear to want to call a, for a national emergency this evening. Uh, Winehouse advisors have convinced him he wouldn't be able to do what he would want to do with a national emergency. Instead, he wants to build the case for stronger border security. Now, the issue here is, does the president want to build a physical wall? He's walked that back to steel slats, um, and we'll see. It's good, though, that the White House has decided not to go this route for a number of reasons concerning precedent. Uh, If the president could declare this a national emergency, then anything could be declared a national emergency, including climate change and president's attempt to use eminent domain to take power, coal power plants and whatnot. It would just it would be a mess. Um, Remember, though, as well, that Barack Obama declared a national emergency and introduced the, the, the DACA and DAPA executive orders and a federal judge put all of that stuff on hold. You can expect that a federal judge would put this sort of stuff on hold as well. Um, I, I think he's making the right decision here. We're going to be covering his speech live tonight at nine o'clock and there will be a Democratic response afterwards. And apparently the Democrats have been thrown into a tailspin because they thought the president really was going to declare a national emergency. That's been all the press reports coming out of the White House and elsewhere. And so the Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer response was going to really rebut the idea that the president could call a national emergency. Now, of course, they're going to have to revise their speech. Uh, And, you know, I got to say, um, putting Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer up in a joint speech against the president of the United States, I don't know is the way the Democrats need to go, but they can't put up any of their younger faces because the old guard of the Democratic Party have, have boxed themselves in to a point where they're afraid that the younger people are overshadowing them. Uh, they got a real problem with the face of the Democratic Party. As much as people may say, oh, the Republicans have a problem with Trump, I think the Democrats have a problem too with Pelosi and Schumer. 
Now, let's get to phone calls on this. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, Robert in Ellenwood, you are next. Welcome. Hey, thanks. Um, I understand that uh, this can open uh, Pandora's box, but I don't think the climate change emergency, national emergency is realistic in that to shut down all the coal power plants will disrupt uh, the economy so great uh, that we're going to tailspin as we're just building a wall as national security would not, even though we um, it might affect uh, some farmers. But there again, you said we had to reroute that. Well, I mean, just just consider that during the Obama administration, the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the military released a statement declaring climate change to be a serious national security issue. Uh, they've been laying the groundwork for this ability to declare an emergency on climate change for a while. They, they don't care about the disruption in the economy. you got to remember that every major research study that's been out there has shown that when the economy goes into a recession, uh, manufacturing plants slow down production, and so global warming emissions are reduced. A global economic uh, slowdown is what the environmentalists want to have happen because they think it's a way to save the planet. I, and I'm not making this up, by the way. Uh, there are noted environmentalists on Twitter who have been lamenting the fact that the economy appears to be picking up steam and have been openly saying they hope tariffs will slow down the economy because it's good for the environment. I mean, a global recession would be part of the national security strategy of declaring a climate change emergency uh, as a way to combat it. Don't think I'm making this up, folks. I mean, you can go online. The, the brilliance of Twitter, it's a garbage website, but the brilliance of Twitter is that you can go in and you can find uh, what these people honestly think when they think they're just talking to their friends. And they're pretty expressive about the need for global slowdown to keep uh, climate change emissions, uh, carbon emissions and methane emissions and whatnot from escalating. Now, back to the phones we go. Uh, Mike in Athens, you are next. Welcome. Hey, thank you for taking my call. I, my question is, with the uh, with the wall going up and you've got a few farmers that inherited land from 200 years ago, and that's great, but I'm a farmer. I live in Athens, Georgia. You know, you, you've got access to water. They can't block you from access to water. So if you build a wall... You can put an ir irrigation system that pumps the water back to your cows, your land, or whatever. I don't understand the problem there. Don't let that block your mind from thinking that it's, you know, not okay to build a wall. I mean, it's crazy. We, we need the wall, and it's not going to obscure the farmers in, on that local Rio Grande area from having access to water. I mean, cattle don't walk into water. It's not like in the old right. days. Yeah, see, Wayne, this, the, is, this is this is the problem, Mike. the The problem is that when the when the government actually sent eminent domain notices, and they have done this, there's actually a great write up in the Washington Post about uh, the farmers down there, uh, the government wanting access to their land to do the detailed surveys <laughs> to build the wall. One of the issues is that when they sh presented the plan for what the wall would look like. There was no way to access the river uh, for irrigation or otherwise. Uh, that was the hang-up. 
one of the other hangups is that we do have a treaty with Mexico that limits our ability to dam up existing non-dammed portions of the Rio Grande. And there are times during the year where the flow of water headed out into the Gulf of Mexico from the Rio Grande slows to a ver- for, to a trickle. And you would want to be able to dam up that uh, to preserve enough water for irrigation pumps to capture and flow back up onto the land. And we don't have an existing treaty with Mexico to be able to do that. And that would have to be negotiated. But the bigger problem for the farmers was that that they weren't allowing access. They were cutting off farmland that would be closer to the Rio Grande. And in addition, they weren't contemplating allowing farmers to be able to build any sort of irrigation channels, piping, or anything else to be able to get land, um, get water out of the Rio Grande flowing back to the land. So you got that on, you got that issue. Then you have the issue of not being able to dam up parts of the Rio Grande uh, to be able to retain water so that the irrigation channels would be able to flow through. Uh, there are, it's, it's a little more complicated than just saying, let's let them build an irrigation pipe and get the water out of the Rio Grande because of the way the Grand, Rio Grande flows at certain times of the year and the way it doesn't flow at certain times of the year. Yeah, all that being said, though, put in a door. That seems like a no-brainer, but... The problem the farmers had in Texas, again, is that there was no contemplation for anything like that. It was going to be, a, a, a at the time, a solid wall with no way to get to their land on the other side of the wall. And if you can't get to the land on the other side of the wall at all, whether to build an irrigation pipe or maintain an irrigation system or what have you, well, then the land largely is useless for a farm. You still got to be able to get there, even if you put in an irrigation system. You got to be able to get to the other side of the wall if there's a clog or there's a pump that breaks or the river is running so low that the irrigation channel isn't working. And none of that was contemplated in the paperwork they were given by the federal government, uh, which again is one of the reasons the president is moving towards the steel slat idea. And if he does that, I, I really would assume that they would contemplate putting gates in so these farmers can actually get to the other side of the wall. That seems to make sense, something they would want to do. It is 56 after the hour. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. When we come back, the shutdown effects in Georgia. How is it going to impact us here between tax refunds, getting through Hartsville-Jackson International Two Dead Mayors Airport and the like? We'll explore it. And also, what can Georgia Republicans do in a rebuilding time to get back the suburbs you know, their numbers have dwindled in the state house and the state Senate as well. They've still got majorities, but they're not the majorities they had in addition to the state moving more and more towards, well, blue territory. We'll explore that right now. Uh, let us uh, go back to the phones. Barbara in Buckhead, you're next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Thank you. Listen, I have a question. Um, back in when we were doing Christmas Kids and Clark Howard went, from needing 10,000 to needing 11,000 gifts because of the opioid crisis. Right. Does that not constitute an emergency? Yes, it does. Um, and the the president and Congress actually passed a resolution, uh, a joint uh, piece of legislation regarding the opioid epidemic. Uh, instead of declaring a national emergency, there was actually bipartisan legislation they're working to address that. 
Okay. So, yeah, but, you know, the, the, the thing that bothers me about that is that as, as long as they're still pouring over the border, you know, we're going to continue having an issue. Yeah. Well, and, you know, keep in mind that the President Trump did declare a state of emergency in the opioid crisis that led to the bipartisan legislation. The problem, though, with the opioid epidemic is not actually a bunch of drugs flowing over the border. Uh, by and large, the issue for people in the opioid epidemic are people who are addicted to prescription narcotics. Uh, and that has to be dealt with differently. It, it, it's not related to people bringing drugs over the border. That's not to say that's not happening, and that's not to say that's not a problem. What it is to say, though, is that the majority of the people who are affected by the opioid epidemic are affected through prescription drugs, not through drugs coming across the border. In fact, the number of drugs coming across the border has been declining year over year for the last seven years. Uh, the number of illegal immigrants coming across has been declining concurrently because they're not smuggling in I illegal drugs. Uh, but you're right on the opioid epidemic. Um, but remember, the president did declare that emergency and then Congress passed legislation resolving the emergency declaration. We'll get into more of this when we come back and what Georgia Republicans need to do to rebuild. It's 10 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, a word on the government shutdown. If it goes past Friday, it's going to be the longest government shutdown in history. Uh, and coming up uh, later this week will be the first pay period where federal workers may miss getting paid. It has not actually happened yet. And I see a bunch of people saying, oh, I talked to so-and-so and so-and-so who works for the government and they haven't gotten paid and stuff. According to the federal government, every federal worker is getting paid up until the money is running out this coming week. So it's, it's, there's a lot of misinformation out there. But some workers and some departments have gotten paid because of existing pre-existing fees that were in bank accounts that could be converted to payroll. And that money is pretty much gone as well. There will be people after the 11th who begin not getting paychecks. Uh, you're going to have an impact here in Georgia. It's going to impact me. I, I got asked to be on the uh, premiere episode of uh, Real Time on HBO on next Friday. And if the situation is not resolved by then, eh, who knows what it'll be like to go through an airport. TSA workers are starting to basically give up on the job. There was a woman who put on Twitter earlier today. She asked a TSA agent if she needed to take her laptop out of her bag. And the TSA agent said, I don't care. I'm not getting paid. So they're showing up for work, but they're not really, they're phoning it in. Some are beginning to call in sick uh, and just not show up to work. They're considered essential services, but they're not necessarily getting paid, so they don't necessarily want to go to work, and who can blame them? Uh, the other big issue is going to be ports. Uh, if port authorities, customs agents, and the like uh, in the Georgia ports are, don't show up for duty, you're going to have a backup of cargo coming in from the ports in Savannah and elsewhere uh, that may reduce traffic on I-16 and the 1675 corridor coming up to Atlanta and then south towards Florida. But at the same time, there's going to be a backup uh, at the ports 
And it's going to take a while. We're going to be running short of goods coming through ports if they can't be processed uh, with the government. Now, there are other aspects of this. The federal government, Russ Vote, the deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget, is out saying that they have reallocated funds to keep IRS personnel on so that people will get their tax refunds in a timely manner. That's good to know. And the IRS, of course, if there aren't people there to receive payments, then you're supposed to file your taxes. You'll still get fined even if they're not there to process them. They will use the postmark from when things were sent through the post office or Federal Express or UPS, the timestamp they use. So you can't get out of paying your taxes. We will slowly, as this shutdown continues, feel the effects more and more. But I think it is very commendable It is, I think, highly commendable of the president and his team to make the shutdown as painless as possible. If you go back to the Obama administration shutdowns, they were throwing veterans out of the World War II memorial, a place that you can walk anytime, day or night you want to. They were throwing people out of it, putting up barriers to prevent people from getting in, uh, locking down the national parks. The Trump administration has kept it all open allowing people to go in and see their land, the public land. And they're rearranging money so that people can get their tax refunds. I think it is highly commendable of this president to do the shutdown in such a way as to make it as painless as possible for people. And part of that is the philosophy behind the shutdowns. The president is shutting this down or letting the shutdown continue in a fight over funding for the border wall. He does not want it to impact people. The Democrats always want shutdowns to be as painful as possible because the Democrats want you to believe that you are dependent on the federal government. This president and the people around him at least uh, believe you should be able to see that life can continue even if the government doesn't work. And they're showing people that you can still visit the national parks. You can go to Yellowstone today and you can go to the Grand Canyon today. You know, you don't need to have the government open to do it. You can go to Washington, D.C. and walk around the Lincoln Memorial. You can go to Washington, D.C. and walk around the the Jefferson Memorial, the FDR Memorial, the MLK Memorial, the World War II Memorial. You may not be able to get into all the Smithsonian museums but you'll be able to see the major monuments. They're not barricaded. They're not roped off. There aren't people there preventing you from going because this administration wants you to be able to see that life is going on with or without the government. And that's a good thing. And the left, by the way, you should know, the left is actually really upset about this uh, and has been lashing out at the Trump administration, Democratic members of Congress saying they're going to audit to see if money was being spent appropriately or not during the government shutdown and how reallocations were happening. It's just profound to me the contrast between the Obama administration maliciously, punitively shutting things down to hurt citizens, to build outrage, and this administration has not done that. And I think it is to their credit. Now, uh, shutdown being said, there will be an impact in Georgia and elsewhere because of the TSA situation. I honestly think this is one reason the Trump administration should privatize the TSA and use ticketing fees to continue to pay TSA agents, which, by the way, is why how the TSA is largely funded is through fees on, on airplane tickets and whatnot. And as long as that money can come through, they should be able to be paid. And it can be structured in such a way to prevent any sort of slowdown or work stoppage at the TSA uh, through the deprivation of salary by using ticket fees. They should do that. If TSA agents don't show up for work, 
it's going to be it, that is going to wreak havoc. But this again is something worth considering. It will not be the Trump administration telling them not to come to work. It'll be them. It'll be government unions. It'll be Democrats encouraging them not to come to work. Deeply problematic in my mind if the Democrats and or the government employee unions go in that direction. But it's not the Trump administration doing it. I, they, they don't deserve any blame for this sort of stuff. They're doing a very good job of making the shutdown as painless as possible. There are people who are impacted. There absolutely are. There are people who are not getting funds. That is absolutely true. There are things that will happen as the shutdown continues that will be uncomfortable for all of us. But all of it will largely be manageable. Life will certainly go on. And I think, I hope, that the Trump administration will get on a singular message to show you that a lot of these parts of government that are shut down, they're not necessary. We don't need them. We should be able to privatize things like TSA after the shutdown and keep it going without impact to people. And maybe, just maybe, Republicans will realize that and start getting on message about it. You know, when I do a sponsorship ad for the podcast, they send me a script that I can read from. I don't have to even read that script for Quip. Quip is my electric toothbrush, and it has been for over two years, and I love it. I ordered it myself uh, well before they were a sponsor of this or even my radio show because I kept seeing the ads on Instagram, and I was looking for a good electric toothbrush. And so many electric toothbrushes, if you buy them, the, the toothbrush heads are so big, you can't get them to the back of your mouth to brush, and they come with a big recharger you got to carry with you. The Quip does not have either of those problems. It is designed by designers with dentists, and it shows. It fits in your mouth comfortably. And it works on a AAA battery, so you don't have to carry a big charger with you. And there's a subscription brush head. So when your brush head wears out for just five bucks every three months, you get a new brush head and it comes in an envelope that has a new battery in it. So you just see, keep the cycle going. It is fantastic. It is accepted by the American Dental Association. In fact, it's one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the ADA. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals. My own dentist has commented to me how good my teeth have looked over the last couple of years. I've been going through uh, one of those Invisalign braces processes as well and quip makes it easy and great to get a good good clean teeth so now quip starts at 25 dollars. if you go to getquip.com slash eric e-r-i-c-k right now you get your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash eric it is free your first refill pack so go to getquip.com slash eric that's getquip.com slash eric It is 25 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB, and the phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Let's go to the phones. Craig in Kennesaw, you are up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Hey, um, I know from being hanging around you for several years now that your background in campaign management campaign marketing strategy all that kind of stuff you've got a lot of background in that so i'm interested in hearing your opinion on this um what if tonight before the president trump's address that the republican national committee or a group like that a conservative group just bought two or three minutes just before uh, the address and all they did in that two or three minutes is replay Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, 
uh, President Obama, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton just played their own words back when they supported border security, call it a, a <laughs> wall, call it whatever you want, and just played it. Didn't drop the Look, I, I think it would be great. I, I'll tell you what would other what would also be great is if the president himself did a montage like that and played it during his speech tonight. Uh, had it pre-programmed in uh, for maximum exposure. I think it would be a good idea. I, I, I wish that they would do something like that because all these people did support it. It was a moral imperative in the 1990s to secure the border when Clinton was president. And, you know, I got to tell you guys, and you just forgive me, those of you who are on hold, this point can't wait through the commercial break. In the first half of fiscal 2018, six people on the terror watch list were caught at the border. We can only count the ones that we know about, and we know about six. There were 19 people involved in 9-11, 18 on the planes. All you need are 12 more people to be caught at the border. All you need are 18, really, to come across the border at different times or together through different points sneak into the country to commit a terror act. I really do support securing the border, and I really do believe that we should be securing the border before we have discussions about what to do with DACA kids, the Dreamers, what to do with their parents. Build a wall. Walls keep people out. We caught these people because they came through checkpoints. What about the people who didn't come through the checkpoints? Walls work. The Chinese know this. They built the Great Wall of China. Israel knows this. They built fencing and walls to keep out uh, Hamas and Hezbollah terrorists. Build a wall. It's not a moral issue. It's a national security issue. Uh, it is an issue of human trafficking. It is an issue of drugs. It is an issue of smuggling. It is an issue of illegal immigration. We should be building the wall. And you know what? Here's the thing. Democrats supported doing so until Donald Trump supported it. The opposition has more to do with Trump derangement syndrome than anything else. It is 39 after the hour. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Stefan Ritter. Uh, Stefan Ritter, he is the executive director of the State Ethics Commission, WSB-TV report, and apparently had um, adult material on his work computers. He's being investigated. I want to spend a little bit of time on uh, rebuilding the state GOP in Georgia, but I think more importantly, a lot of you have phone calls. I'd like to get to those first before I get to anything else. Even if the clock runs out, we can always do that topic tomorrow. Let's go to Jason in Fayetteville. Welcome. Hey, how's it going, Eric? It's just a quick question for you in regards to the shutdown. Um, with President Trump not ex- uh, privatizing or excluding the TSA, um, could that come back to bite him in the sense that at some point, uh, maybe a strike situation or you know people not showing up for work uh, could kind of force his hand in the sense that you know, income, you know, at the top of the list of things that have to keep moving throughout this process, you would think incoming and outgoing flights, you know, that that, that just can't stop. So could yeah. that, 
not privatizing come back to bite them? And if so, how long would it take before we saw something like that? Thank well, it, so the, there's a difference between the TSA and the FAA in that um, flights, because of a- airport fees and whatnot and the FAA, that it largely self-funds, and to a degree the TSA does. So what you would probably find with the TSA is fewer and fewer lines open at airports, uh, which would make things difficult to back up. So planes would still come and go. Airplanes would still land. um, People could still go hither and yon. But the TSA would have less people available to do security screenings at airports, backing up the lines tremendously, making it very difficult for you to get to the airplane to be able to leave. And yeah, I, I think that will become problematic over time. If they don't come up with a solution to this, um, back to the phones, Phil from Zdella, welcome. Hey, Eric. I just wonder why uh, people are not getting paid. Uh, does the federal government government not use a payroll service? And if oh. they do not, why not? No, no, no. So uh, what's happening here is they, they have their own payroll service. But every company in America and the federal government budgets for payroll. And Congress budgets for the federal government's payroll. And there are certain departments and agencies within the federal government who were supposed to have their payroll budgeted by Congress and have been held up in the shutdown. That These are the, the spending packages Congress has not approved, included the payroll for some of these different uh, agencies within the federal government. And since Congress didn't approve the budget, the money can't be spent. That gets us to where we are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the federal government, every agency writes its own paychecks. But, you know, Congress does allocate and says this agency is going to get, let's say, let's just say $1,000. This agency is going to get 1000 and I'm, I'm using this because I'm a lawyer. I'm not a mathematician. So this agency gets $1,000. $600 goes to payroll. Well, Congress hasn't passed that legislation. So no agency of government can spend money without a congressional authorization to spend the money and on payroll or anything else. So even if Congress, even if the federal government used an outside payroll agency, that agency could not write the checks because Congress has not authorized the money to be spent. Uh, Under our federal system, Congress has to authorize the money to be spent. Now, we will see the prolonged effects of this even as it comes into payroll situations, uh, you know, one of the the funny things here, I mentioned earlier in the show that the Democrats really are hoping, and I shouldn't say the Democrats, that's, that's mean of me. Uh, there is a segment of people who vote Democrat, a segment of people in the progressive movement, definitely not a majority of them, but, but a prominent segment that is rooting for a government shutdown because they think it will be good for the environment. You would think that these people would also like the government shutdown because they're hoping that it could have an impact economically or it could mess with the economy or it could just keep people off the roads. I mean, you would think that given the amount of people who fly every year just out of Hartsfield alone, they would love it if people couldn't travel like that because of what it could do for the environment. You know, I I hate to say it. This is a, a sentiment Within the progressive movement, it is definitely in a minority, but the voices who believe these things are becoming increasingly prominent among the Democratic Party. And it's only a matter of time before they look at economic slowdowns as a good thing 
for global warming. I mean, we're already seeing some scientists and others talking about this, that if the president's tariffs have a negative impact on the economy, the upside is that it'll be good for global warming, good for climate change, which is nutty to think about them saying this openly, but they are rooting for an economic slowdown because they think it'll save the planet. It is 54 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Uh, So, you should know, not making a lot of headlines today, but the president has decided to slow walk the departure from Syria, and now, as of today, the departure from Afghanistan. Uh, Troops will not be pulled out of Afghanistan as quickly as originally indicated by the president. They're going to work up a timetable, which now John Bolton and others are saying could keep troops in Afghanistan uh, for more than a couple of years. Um, big reversal there, overshadowed to a degree by the president's speech tonight on the border. We'll see how that plays out overall. Also, um, the, we're going to carry this president's speech tonight live at 9, and then the Democratic response afterwards. After that, I'm going to come back and take your phone calls and your reaction to both the president's speech and the Democratic response. You'll be able to call in after 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, and be able to get on, uh, listen to it live here, and then we'll be on until 11 tonight reviewing it. Now, what about the Georgia GOP? I got to tell you, I am more and more convinced that one of the biggest problems for the Republicans in Georgia was ground game. The Kemp campaign focused mostly outside of Atlanta, including the suburbs, I cannot tell you the number of people I've talked to who said they had repeated door knocking from outside Democratic groups and nothing from Republicans that they just presumed that they were going to show up some thought. Uh, There really does seem to be a lack of organization. And I don't put that at the Georgia GOP's feet. Uh, I, I don't think this was John Watson. This was this was not a problem of the state party. I think the state party has some issues uh, that Watson's been tackling to improve, but this was an issue of national Republican groups promising to take that burden onto themselves so that Republicans in Georgia could spend their money outside of Atlanta, and then those groups failed to. This is an issue of self-reliance. I do think that the Republicans in Georgia are going to have to rely on themselves and treat this very, very seriously. Coming up in 2020, I really genuinely think that David Perdue is going to have a dogfight because Democrats believe that Georgia is vulnerable to being flipped in 2020. They think they can capture the legislature in 2020, and they're going to pour in as many resources as possible to try to beat Purdue. He's got to be on his A game in 2020, and that begins, I think, right now, laying groundwork in the Atlanta suburbs, trying to make sure that we find every single Republican or independent voter who can be persuaded to vote Republican and know who they are, know what their issue is, figure out what they think, and target them. Now, we'll be back with you tonight at 9 o'clock with the President of the United States, Mark Aram, coming up next.